We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Katie Orr, in for Mina Kim. Last year, facing the COVID-19 pandemic and a burgeoning homelessness crisis, officials in Santa Rosa took an unusual step. They created a sanctioned encampment in the parking lot of a local community center, despite massive public opposition. The gamble appears to have paid off. People living at the site reported feeling safer and having better access to services, and the neighborhood came to embrace the encampment. Coming up this hour, we talk about what went right in Santa Rosa and how other California cities and counties are handling or not handling homelessness in their areas. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Katie Orr, in for Mina Kim. Homelessness has reached crisis levels in California, yet attempts to build more shelters are often met with fierce resistance from the communities where those shelters would be located. But last year, the city of Santa Rosa decided it needed to take action, whether residents liked it or not. The city pushed through a sanctioned homeless encampment that ended up winning over neighbors. Now, the project might serve as a model for other cities and counties trying to grapple with the problem. Joining me now to talk about how governments are changing their approach to homelessness are Angela Hart, correspondent covering California health politics and policy for Kaiser Health News, and Jenny Lynn Holmes, the chief program officer for Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Santa Rosa. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. Um, Angela, I want to start with you. Why did the city of Santa Rosa feel like it had to take this action? Good morning, Katie. Um, Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that this experiment, um, what I would describe as a a happy experiment in the pandemic, um, really grew out of this crisis. Um, Santa Rosa and really cities across the state um, were required and had to clear out their um, some of the people living in their shelters and um, in order to address uh, social distancing requirements. And also, um, as many people in California know, there's been a major <clears throat> excuse me problem with encampments just exploding everywhere. So I think it was an emergency response. Um, and um, the other point I'll make is in reporting this story over months, I think one of my main takeaways is how many surprises there were. (laughs) The whole reporting experience was very surprising to me. Right, which, you know, given the the topic of homelessness, I mean, often it's just one roadblock after another, and it seems they really have been able, the city was really able to kind of overcome that um, this time. Uh, Jenny Lynn, tell us the nuts of nuts and bolts of this? You know, what types of services were provided? How many people were served? Things like that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, this was quite an interesting learn for our community. You know, originally 
started, as Angela mentioned, as a as a precaution and a safety measure to combat the potential of COVID cases rising among the homeless population. And we, we've learned so much more for it. But really, the, the idea was that we took a, a city parking lot. It was our, our it was called Finley Community there. It is called Finley Community Center. And it's our local kind of uh, gathering point in the city. It's got a swimming pool and so on and so forth. And they took a part of the parking lot and we set up socially distanced tents. We had about 65 tents um, available there. We had 24-7 supervision, management, and outreach workers. Uh, we were able to bring in you know, three meals a day. We were able to uh, bring on on-site medical care, uh, community referrals and resources, And I think one of the most important parts was we created a sense of safety for a lot of the individuals that were living there. And it quickly evolved from not just being um, necessarily a way to socially distance and combat, you know, the the potential for COVID-19 among the homeless population, but it also started to really help provide safety. For for example, a lot of women came into the the site because this is there's a high case of assault and violence against women on the streets. And they felt safer being there. And it wasn't necessarily the COVID-19 concerns that were driving them there. It was more just the overall concerns of what an individual experiencing homelessness uh, experiences on a daily basis when they're living unsheltered. So it ended up becoming a very multifaceted program um, with on-site case management for these individuals to hopefully lead them to a pathway of homeless out of homelessness. Angela, as we referred to earlier, the community initially was not on board with this plan. Um, Talk a little bit about that and then talk about what happened after they saw it being opened and operated. Yeah, it was so remarkable. Um, Talking about the surprises, I think that's one of my major ones. Um, You know, their nimbyism, um, not in my backyard is the jargony term, but uh, essentially it amounts to intense Um, pushback and backlash um, that arises really in cities and counties across the state when it comes to place to siting, um, finding sites for homeless services, homeless housing, homelessness shelters, even these managed encampments that we're seeing. Um, And that NIMBYism was on was in full force up in Santa Rosa. Um, This is a relatively affluent neighborhood, comparatively looking across California. And um, it's very sort of quaint and there's sleepy cul-de-sacs and it's um, a lot of um, retirees live in this neighborhood. It's a lot of middle class, upper middle class neighborhood and lots of families. And so you might imagine there would be intense pushback to this type of project. Um, And city leaders and Jenny Lynn knows well have experienced this. They anticipated it. They were well prepared for it. Um, There was a giant community meeting. Hundreds of people called in to register their um, discontent initially. And, um, and I had been traveling up to Santa Rosa quite some quite often and, um, and talking with Jenny Lynn and some of the neighbors, um, they really, there really was a surprising change that happened. Um, Because the site was well managed. um, uh, I heard from neighbors, um, they had giant concerns about mental health crises about um, uh, about sex predators, to be frank, um, about violence, about a lot of um, I think stereotypes surrounding homeless the homelessness crisis in California. Um, and um, shortly after they opened, those neighbors' fears, you know, started and they weren't realized. Um, people started dropping off donations. People 
who I talked to um, said they were vehemently opposed. And over the course, uh, almost immediately after a couple weeks, they told me actually they changed their mind. Um, one gentleman who is a pickleball player at the nearby pickleball court told me, you know, they can have it all year round for all I care. Um, so I think it just speaks to um, how communities can start to sort of grapple with this nimbyism that really um, paralyzes many homelessness projects uh, in California as the state tries to really grapple with the crisis. I mean, that's just incredible that he, he said you could have it all year long. Just, you know, as you know from your reporting, as I know from my reporting on this issue for years, that's just never something you normally hear about these projects. Um, and, yeah, and, and I might, Katie, you, if, I, mm-hmm. if I can jump in, I might add one other thing. Um, you know, this didn't make my story, but um, uh, the, the comment didn't make my story. But the police chief in Santa Rosa pointedly said to me, um, you know, he, he, I got some data from police calls for service to the area. And, um, you know, he said, we typically see a lot of drug issues and probably the most call, prevalent call they get is responding to violence and fights in progress. Um, but he said with these managed sites, we don't really have many problems. If anything, more people just want to come. And there's an opportunity, the police chief Rainer Navarro said to work with people and help them. Um, and so I think it that from a police chief, you know, reflects a willingness, you know, this is a, a mindset across Sonoma County um, that these are neighbors and and it's not the, the status quo isn't working. Right. And Jenny Lynn, going back to the people who were actually living in this camp, um, from what I, I read, it seemed like a lot of people, even people who once it was full, they wanted it to come. Word got out. And there was a real desire among us unhoused people to have a place to go, a safe place to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, again, some of our lessons learned from this, you know, th- at one point in the in the program's history, we had more than half of the individuals that were living there had never engaged in a social service before. They had stayed um, unengaged and had not entered any sort of homeless shelter or program and had been reluctant to enter. But this allowed them kind of a more of a transitioning point to say, okay, maybe I can dip my toe in a path towards, you know, exiting homelessness. And I feel more comfortable in this way. When one of the things that was really important for us was to say, you know, we want to be able to provide a safe place for people to be right here now. But we also know that these are individuals who deserve more and deserve housing. And so everything we did in the encamp- in the encampment area was to get them on a pathway towards housing. So we had on-site outreach workers who were working with them to get their documents ready and to start growing their income and to start getting them ready for housing search and housing process. And that was really has been the focus of us. And some people were able to like understand and get comfortable with it and then transition to another shelter for longer term care as well. So it was really a way for people to kind of that have been resistant in the past to different services and interventions to kind of dip their toe, see if it's something that would really work for them. And for many of them, it ended up becoming a kind of starting the pathway for them of actually exiting homelessness, which is really what our agency is focused on. We want, we want people to exit homelessness. We want people to be housed and we want to use these creative engagement tools like this site to be able to uh, lead towards that process. Do you think that this kind of um, setup is sustainable? I understand from Angela's article, they spent about $680,000 to supply and manage the site for about six months. 
I mean, if we look at the cost of not doing anything about homelessness, it is far more. When we look at the cost of, uh, you know, hospital visits, um, you know, a higher level of, of medical care, police calls for service, uh, you know, emergency calls for service. I, I could go on and on and on. It is extreme. It is much more expensive to not do something about homelessness than to provide an intervention like this. And for a lot of these projects, is has been mentioned already, they, they die before they start. Uh, the, the public um, concern and nimbyism and so on and so forth get so far ahead of it that it ends up, they never come to fruition. But this was a case where we actually were able to get the political will, bring it to fruition and disprove all of the myths and worries that people had. And that to me was even more worth its weight to show the community that these things can be managed, they, they can go well, and they can actually have a positive impact and enhance your neighborhood rather than the fears and, and mysteries that it will detract and create an unsafe environment. So there's, it, it's, it's important to invest in these services because not doing something about it is a lot more expensive for our community. Well, we want to hear from our listeners. What do you think about the idea of sanctioned encampments for unhoused people? What approaches would you like to see governments take to address the issue of homelessness? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Katie Orr in for Mina Kim. We're talking about city-sanctioned encampments for the unhoused and what went well with Santa Rosa's experiment and how other cities are implementing or thinking about implementing sanctioned camps. I'm joined by Angela Hart. She's a correspondent covering California health politics and policy for Kaiser Health News. Also, Jenny Lynn Holmes. She's the chief program officer for Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Santa Rosa, which the city contracted to manage its camp. I want to get to some comments right now. Kim writes... As a longtime resident of Santa Rosa, the city has ignored our homelessness issue for a decade. Volunteer community groups have arisen in the past two years to advocate for our homeless and provided tents, sleeping bags, clothing, and food to them. The community demanded that the city provide services, and that is why the city acted. Uh, Jenny Lynn, uh, what is your reaction to that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, it's not a, it's not a singular focus. It, it takes a lot of political will. And when I talk about political, I'm not just talking to the people who make the political decisions. I'm talking about the community's will to get these things done. And I would definitely say that our 
that Santa Rosa has had um, a growing cry for solutions and innovative, um, you know, interventions for this population, including many of the professional organizations, many of the volunteer groups and just individual citizens in and of themselves. I think um, that definitely helps provide the political will, the community will for us to be able to do these things. But at the end of the day, we also have a divergence of of viewpoints. You know, I can sit in one meeting and say one thing and get death threats and get followed to my car, which is a very real situation that has happened in my career. I can say the same thing at another meeting and get applauded and, and embraced afterwards. So there, there is still a a dichotomy of, of thoughts and opinions. And that's why doing these projects and managing them well and, 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 and being very transparent about what worked, what didn't work and how we're going to move forward helps to bring these these groups together and hopefully come up to a solution. Because I think whether you're a business owner in downtown Santa Rosa who's frustrated with the person in their doorstep or you're an advocate fighting for the rights of the individuals or you're a service provider or you're a you know, an ambulance, you know, driver, I think we all agree less homelessness is better. And um, we just need to continue to agree on the end goal and figure out how we get there um, rather than continuing to, um, you know, hold our our strong points on um, on each other's feelings and thoughts. I want to go to a caller now, Terry from Larkspur. Go ahead. Hi, um, my, my comment is I... Um, don't think the word nimbyism should be used as many times as it's been used in the last 10 minutes. Um, I grew up in Marin. I was actually homeless with my mother when we were young. And my mother spent her entire career helping other single parents not become homeless just because they had children and couldn't find housing in Marin. So I'm quite aware of the homeless problem. And I think it's a problem for all Californians. But I don't think it's an opener to keep calling people who have legitimate concerns about homeless encampments in their neighborhood nimbyism. I, I think that's not really an opening for people to want to have a dialogue. So, you know, I do believe that there needs to be encampments and help, but I don't think insulting people who don't want them in their neighborhood is the right way to say it. I just think the word nimbyism should be taken out of the conversation. Thank okay. you so much, Terry. I mean, and Angela, that does, does bring up, you know, the sensitivity around this issue, the practicalities, but also the fact that it's just a really emotional topic for people. And maybe there is something to be said for keeping the debate, you know, not neutral, but level as possible. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, thank you. Um, I just want to, Jenny Lynn and both of the two callers raised a really important point. Um, I just want to um, address one point and say, um, by no means is Santa Rosa nor Sonoma County perfect. Um, uh, the, there's been, I think, a, a, an awakening amongst the political leadership up there in a way that is somewhat bigger than other parts of the state, other cities. Um, and to Terry's point, um, this is a major frustration among some of the advocates and the activists that are really pushing um, policy leaders and political leaders in California. Um, I, I um, as the caller was talking, it's, it, it struck me. Um, one thing that um, a homeless service provider in Sacramento told me in reporting this story is, um, you know, it, it underscores the point. He said, we have to start changing the narrative. Um, he said the political will and the political stuff, we can kick politicians in the butt all day long and eventually they're either going to move or we're going to vote in new ones. But um, this is the loaves to fishes um, advocacy group in Sacramento 
their, um, one of their leaders, Joe Smith, told me, until we start changing the public's heart, we're not going to be successful. And so I think it's an extremely good point. Sort of othering people isn't helpful. And um, I think one thing that is a bright spot in Santa Rosa is there's service providers um, like Jenny Lynn, like Catholic Charities, but there's there's other there's many others um, who are doing really important work all around the state, and um, and it's important to be responsive and to address those concerns. Um, Jenny Lynn used the word transparency. Um, I would use another word, which is responsiveness. Um, the whole idea is you don't allow neighborhoods or or or, or opponents to say no. Um, that's what we're talking about here. But instead, you listen to the concern and you come up with something to say, we hear you and we're going to actually take your concern and we're going to build that into our response programs. It's really remarkable what's going on and in, in, in a small way, but a really um, in a really surprising way. And this is actually a great time to bring in our next guest, James Gore. He's a supervisor for the 4th District of Sonoma County and also president of the California State Association of Counties. James, thank you so much for uh, joining us now. I'd love to get your opinions. I mean, you and other local officials in Santa Rosa, in in Sonoma County, are pretty unapologetic about taking up the lead on setting up this site what went into making the decision to move forward with or without community support? Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to be with you. I just want to make sure you can hear me loud and clear. Of course, we can. Get going. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, well, let's just jump into it. Right? Is it's a it's a it's a mess, and you have to embrace the mess. Is the first thing I'm going to say. I mean, that may sound like a mantra, but it's it's all of these issues. I mean, Sonoma County is a place where we've had. Uh, been told as of like 2018, you know, for counties of similar size, where we have one of the highest homeless rates per capita in the nation for counties our size, that was shocking for me to hear, even though we were dealing with it on the ground. And so we're actively in it, right? And so when you look at sites, whether it's this one, Finley, led by the city, and I want to thank them for leaning in on this, or us, we had another one that's called the Los Gilicos site on county land, you know, it, or whether it's the, the purchases that we've made of the Hotel Azura, the Sebastopol Inn, and turned those into supportive housing for homeless residents coming in. I mean, doesn't matter where it is, if it's in a rural area, an urban area, or a suburban neighborhood. Um, the outrage is that I want this, I want this problem to go away and I don't want it to be still in my, in my view of a frame of reference when it's there. And so, but at the same time is let, let's also say that there's the need to do this. There's things like we have the Joe Redota trail, Orange County with their Creek beds all across the state. But what's happened now is there's a big game change, and it was this Martin v. Boise decision. And it's being implemented imperfectly across the state, across 58 counties, all throughout the nation. But this this mandate from a a court that says you can't move people off of public land unless you have a place to put them, for overnight that is – you know, has really been a game changer. And we're the reason that we've had to be pointed the spear too is because we have activists and other people who have who have filed other lawsuits to bring us into that case. So we're we're way ahead of other communities. And I tell other communities, you know, 
the, it, it, it's a totally different system now. So whether it's, whether you have it right now in front of you or very soon, you gotta be, you gotta be leaning in and managing this issue or you will be owned by it. We have a listener tweeting, I'd rather see safe housing, but it's absolutely better than nothing Nothing if there's sanitation. I'd rather see self-sustaining tiny homes or something than tents or cars. Um, uh, James, speak a little bit to that. And what is just like the practicality of tents? I imagine they're either, they're, you can set them up and move them and all of that pretty quickly. Well, tents and or temporary structures need to be a first line of inflow into a, into a continuum of care and a continuum of service. So you got to have some, the equivalent of like, basically, here's a safe place that you can stay that's going to have services provided to get you into a system of coordinated care. But quickly from that, it's not supposed to be that people stay there forever and that we create basically... Um, um, in air, a tent cities, right. That have no permitting, no, 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 you know, no sanitation and other things. So the other thing is, is that safe parking programs. I mean, if you come up to Sonoma County, I could take you around to these, Angela and I've talked about these, these RV flotillas, right. We're on our right of ways, all of a sudden pops up 20 or 30 different RVs. Uh, and we got issues with dumping in the rivers and trash buildup and other things. And it's not, it's not like that's omnipresent, but it's something that we are managing over and over. So I would just say what the, what the uh, person is tweeting about is absolutely relevant. Is is that it needs to be, there's no way to get people out of homelessness if they don't start with a safe place to be, right? You can't provide services when it's street homelessness. And I have to add this other aspect of it too, which is a lot of people don't see is, is that, for instance, our county jail, 40% of our population in our county jail is designated homeless and about 48% is behavior, high behavioral health acuity. So you're, you're, what, what you're not seeing too is, is that our, our jails are being these in and out flows of basically another shelter network that has all these other problems associated with people having, getting misdemeanors, felonies, or other things have you. So, um, you know, this shows kind of the issue, but the embracing the mess is the only way to go forward. And we have to create placement opportunities. If you do services, expanded services, which everyone loves to talk about, wraparound services, hey, do this, do this. If you don't have placement opportunities for people, you are losing. I, I wonder, James, in your role as president of uh, CSAC, you know, it's not often that we see people in your position, politicians saying, I'm going to make this decision whether it's popular with my voting base or not, because there's a very real possibility that you could be voted out. Um, so how what are your conversations with other elected officials across California on this topic like these days? Well, yeah. I'll give you an example. At one point, I had uh, somebody in the governor's office call me and see if I'd be willing to interview for Cal Matters. right? There was a big article coming out, and this was based on some of the governor's plans um, on 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 homeless manage, you know, homelessness. And it, there was a lot of cities and counties saying, contrary to my message, they were saying, uh, you know, we need to have local control, right? We want, we need to deal with this according to our own communities. And I was very loud in that article as saying, you know, local control without local results. Uh, is 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 basically anathema at this point, right? And and it needs to happen. So the way I look at it is is that you d- you have to own it or be owned by it. And I look at my colleagues and say the same thing. But I got to do that smart. So for example, 
um, I have a, a, a group, a regional group that we're meeting with, with the three cities in my district and a bunch of the providers. And we're going to start doing forums uh, that show the community what we're working on and put the true face of home, homelessness in our region. And then we're going to band together and figure out how we purchase uh, facilities together that are already entitled, already entitled mean like we can put people directly into them like these hotels or, um, or other stuff, because we got to have each other's backs, right? So I got to make sure that the city council members and I and others are all sitting here saying we're going to lean in together because the outrage is already there. People are pissed in our communities, right? That this exists in such an omnipresent way. Um, so I think the point there is, is that get on your toes or get on your heels. You can't be flat-footed. James Gore is a supervisor in the 4th District of Sonoma County and also president of the California State Association of Counties. We thank him so much for coming on. I want to get to a caller real quick. Uh, Robert uh, in uh, San Jose, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I'm uh, formerly um, unhoused. I used to live in the jungle in San Jose at the time was the largest homeless encampment uh, in the United States. And I have stayed in every shelter there is in the in the county. I've also stayed in uh, sanctioned encampments uh, all up and down the, the West Coast and uh, a few other locations. And I know that the, what works best is when the people that are living in the encampment have the opportunity to self-govern. And by that, I mean that they work as a community together and we're all like a community anyway. But it runs like an HOA where they elect certain officers and, the, and people all have responsibilities to keep the place clean and safe secure for everyone when you have top-down type government then what you end up is dividing the people because now it's us and them and and the people that are you're trying to protect will try to protect themselves rather than try to protect the system so um it's been my experience that when people are given the opportunity to take responsibility for themselves and for the community, they tend to band together. And if there's a bad actor within that group, the community comes together to expel that person because that person is putting the rest of them at risk of uh, having their, their encampment shut down. So it, it provides a path for people to be able to come to the reality that they need to get out of the situation. And the majority of the people that are unhoused are not the same people that most people think of as being uh, alcoholics or drug addicts or mental issues, having mental issues. These are just regular people that through no fault of their own have found themselves in this position of being unhoused. And I think that Robert. it's it's sad that people are putting these labels on it, just like the person that called in said that they didn't want to be called NIMBY. Not everyone is a NIMBY, but we need to change the conversation, as someone else had said. We need to understand that the people that we're trying to help are people that want to be helped, that want to get out of their situation. Thank you so much for that call, Robert. Jenny Lynn, I want to get a comment, a final comment from you. Um, where do you see things in Santa Rosa going from here? Um, is, is, is homelessness obviously still an issue in the community, but what do you hope you can take away from this experiment? Yeah, I think that there, you know, there's a lot of a lot of learnings, a lot of hope that can, did come out of this. And, uh, you know, Supervisor Gore mentioned a lot of great things on the horizon, such as a couple of the hotels that are being purchased through Project Home Key and increasing our, our housing supply. I think we need um, multiple types of interventions for individuals, um, whether it's a Finley type one, which I, you know, I, I 
to the earlier comments, you know, the tents for us, the biggest barrier and the biggest issue we had was weather. So we would advocate that kind of a, an enhanced version of that with more of a temporary structure is something that is a little more weather resistance would be kind of our advocating for next steps, you know, having a safe parking program and, and just providing diversity of services for people to kind of come in, be safe. But at the end of the day, if all of those services aren't lined up towards pushing and, and allowing pathways towards housing, then we're not doing our job. All we're doing is managing homelessness. We're not solving it. And I want to be on the solution sides of reducing the amount of individuals who are experiencing homelessness. So having these creative interventions that are linked to our long-term housing uh, care is the number one thing we'll continue to keep fighting for as an organization. And, and I think allowing, you know, allowing for these programs to, to occur and for us to do it in a way that is safe for the people and safe for the community is of vital importance too. I can't tell you how many of the projects I've worked on in the past that um, never got off the ground because the the community concern was so great. And so look at the evidence, look at models across the nation and, and let's see what we can do together because at the end of the day, not doing anything isn't gonna help. Jenny Lynn Holmes is the Chief Program Officer for Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Santa Rosa, which the city contracted to manage its uh, sanctioned uh, unhoused encampment. Jenny Lynn, thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, we want to know what do you think about the idea of sanctioned encampments for unhoused people? What approaches would you like to see government take to address the issue of homelessness? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Katie Orr, in for Mina Kim. Today we're talking about city-sanctioned encampments for the unhoused, what went well with Santa Rosa's experiment, and other and how other cities are implementing or thinking about sanctioned camps. I'm joined by Angela Hart, correspondent covering California health politics and policy for Kaiser Health News, and Erica Smith, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Erica, you've been writing about this issue now, um, and you have been focusing a bit on what's happening at Echo Park in Los Angeles last month, what happened. First of all, can you catch us up on on what went on there? Yeah. So basically there was an encampment that had been there for several months. Um, It had been growing slowly uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, But basically there was a point where I think there was enough pressure from residents on the city to finally kind of break it down. I think some of that has been um, brought about by the end of the pandemic kind of ending and cases starting to decline in Los Angeles County. But basically they decided to clear the encampment over a few nights um, and social workers, case workers were sent in to hopefully get people into housing or in, in many cases into hotel rooms under Project Room Key. Um, police were sent in, counter protesters showed up. It was uh, quite the scene for a couple of nights there. Um, but basically at the end of the day, around 200 people were cleared from the park. 
Um, the city's line has been that most of them were put into Project Room Key. Um, and that's, I'm sure, true. A number of people that I spoke to um, actually ended up leaving their hotel rooms or were seriously considering leaving their hotel rooms or just never went to begin with, um, mainly because they were um, pretty sad about being split up and having to leave this kind of commune-like encampment they had built at the park. Right. And I want to talk a little bit about that because Project Room Key, which has since turned into Project Home Key, looking um, for permanent housing for a lot of unhoused people. This is a project that has been really touted by the governor as a new approach to to government. And it has worked to get, I believe it's about 35,000 people off the streets. But Mm -hmm. from your columns, I get a sense that there are some shortcomings in that like you were saying, a lot of the people who were uh, who benefited from this project also felt like they really lost a sense of their community. Is that right? Yes, that's true. I think there's a couple things going on. I think one, I think, you know, homeless people are paying attention to and they see that businesses are starting to reopen and hotels they imagine are going to be full at some point. So they know that there's an end to this program. This is not, you know, getting placed in a four star hotel room downtown is not going to be something that's sustainable over the next two years while you get stable. There's going to be a point where you're going to be pushed around. And um, I think that there is a deep concern about that. But I think beyond that, I think there was also, you know, the Echo Park encampment. It's not unlike many encampments throughout the state or the country. Um, ten encampments become communities of their own. But this one was particularly robust in the sense that there was a shared garden, a shared kitchen, a kind of a, a loose police force, so to speak, to kind of, I think to one caller was mentioning about this idea of if somebody's doing something wrong, there's a, a community response to that. So um and people were pretty close because they had been there for so long. And so I think that the idea of being split up into hotel rooms throughout Los Angeles County, which I'm sure most people know the sprawl here, um, did not sound like a good idea because they wouldn't be, be miles away from anybody that they knew and the neighborhoods and the communities that they knew. And one of the stats we know, again, about homeless people is a lot of people live close to the places where they grew up. And I talked to a number of people who were either from Echo Park originally or grew up near there. And that's why they were at the park um, camping. Angela, uh, that gets back to a story that you had written about uh, Sacramento, uh, right? And and what Sacramento is doing to try and uh, relocate people here. Talk a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. Erica raises um, incredibly important points that, and I would just say, um, similar to the Echo Park encampment um, issue in, in Los Angeles, um, <laughs> Sacramento, there are similar issues that have persisted here. Um, throughout the pandemic, um, although I, I just have to say, um, t- and to Erica's point, and, you know, Sacramento is trying to grapple with this. Um, Sacramento deserves some credit for trying to um, put some of these safe camping ground sites in. Um, however, there are, there have been encampment clearings going on. And, um, uh, you know, one person, um, one person's story, a woman named Shawana Chapman, um, her story just stands out to me. I was reminded of her when Erica was talking. Um, she grew up in, um, in a Sacramento neighborhood, um, kind of in, uh, on the cut between Oak Park, um, and Midtown, this sort of, uh, central boulevard. And she grew up, um, at this house at this intersection and ha- throughout the pandemic has been living in a tent right next door. Um, so she is literally, you know, watching, um, new tenants in her neighborhood home that she grew up in for over 20 years. Um, she can't afford it. She's been priced out. Um, and, and, and problems, I, this is so, it's impossible to overstate this. There are not enough places for people to go in California, just like in Echo Park and the problems with Project Room Key, 
Um, there are similar problems here. I heard a lot of concerns about Project Roomkey and not, um, one of the concerns I heard is it, there's nowhere near enough. Um, the cohesiveness of the community and, and sort of the supports people have built up around one another um, because of the shortfalls of, of government, quite frankly. Um, there aren't trash receptacles, you know, peppering the city. There aren't, um, you know, testing and, and vaccine, vaccinations being done in a widespread scale uh, for the unsheltered population. Um, there isn't access to medical services. I mean, even food, water, um, you know, ability to charge your phone to make healthcare appointments, for example, all of this stuff, you know, became giant problems. And when you, when you split people up, um, that creates problems because they lose their networks. And then even beyond that, when you stand up this, um, what I, what I heard from homeless people, it, it has been an incredibly life-saving program, Project Home Key for many of them, but there simply aren't enough places to go. And many times, um, I'll just make one more point. There is a fallback. Um, you know, we hear this line from cities and counties and, and um, you know, uh, policymakers that, you know, we have made efforts to try to place people into shelter or housing. But those often those um, those places don't meet people's needs and they they choose to leave sometimes as well because they can't bring their pets or their partners or because they because they um, want to be more centrally located um, to a loved one, for example. So there's a, a host of problems that um, Sacramento is continuing to grapple with, just like um, Echo Park. I want to get to some uh, listener calls and comments. Uh, Tina tweets, if we're going to solve homelessness, we must change the narrative. It's not an issue to be addressed. It's about people who need compassion and help. COVID-driven economic displacement adds to the challenges. We must consider the language we use. Um, Also, I want to go to Alicia from from Riverside. Go ahead. Hi, how are you? Great. Go ahead, please. Yes, my concern is that I'm homeless myself right now, and I'm watching and listening to the news. But I think if for me, if you see the people out there and you know they're falling apart and their mental capacity is, is gone, I think if they pick them up, do an evaluation assessment, and get them on the medication, then you have, you, you know, you reduce crime, you reduce the, the you know, they're in the middle of the street with the cold and things like that. You have to start with something because we're people. We're someone's daughter, mother, sister. I have children. I, I came by way of being homeless because my, I was living with my sister, and I went out to try to find my daughter, who was also homeless. And I, the, what is this? the pandemic hit, and my family is high risk, so I couldn't go back home. So I was immediately thrown into being homeless. Erica Smith, I'd like to get your reaction on that because it seems like from your reporting and Angela's reporting and the the listeners we're hearing from today, that that's a common theme that people, especially unhoused people, want to remind others that, you know, they are human. They have unique circumstances. They're not a monolithic group. Um, What what has your report, your reporting shown you, you know, along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an ongoing problem. I think, you know, I was talking to one of the activists, uh, advocates up in Sacramento a couple of weeks ago who remarked that it's amazing that people who have housing 
like to think that people suddenly become different than us when they lose their housing. And that's not true at all. Um, obviously, people who are homeless want some of the same things. And I think, you know, they want community, they want to maintain their bonds, they want stability. Um, and I think that for whatever reason in public policy, we haven't always acknowledged that, even down to how we call people the homeless as opposed to homeless people um, too often or the unhoused. And so I think it's a matter of, you know, trying to find ways to do, I think Angela put it, you know, person-centric care. Um, we need to like bring back this idea of addressing homelessness isn't just about putting a roof over somebody's head and be like, and tell the person, be grateful that we gave it to you. It's more about like, how do we make these things sustainable um, and, and, and attractive to people? Because the reality is we can't just keep building stuff and then get mad when people refuse to take it because, and when people are telling us why. And that's something that I, I heard quite a bit from doing reporting in Echo Park is that, or in some of the folks that were there is like, there were a number of readers who responded and said, you know, they couldn't understand why people wouldn't just like stay in their hotel rooms. And then there was lots of people telling us why they wouldn't. And somewhere we've got to, with the policymakers, we've got to be able to connect the dots and to kind of reform how we look at addressing homelessness. Right. And get into that a little bit, because from what I understand, a lot of the places that, you know, in the Project Home Key program, um, there are rules uh, that people have to follow, like no guest policies and 8 p.m. curfew. And, you know, we're all adults here. I wouldn't want someone telling me I have to be home by eight o'clock. So where, how do you find that balance between what, you know, rules to put in place that they think keep people safe and how to give people some autonomy? Well, I think that's something that, <clears throat> I mean, city councils and boards of supervisors are, are grappling with right now. I mean, Project Room Key, Project Home Key, great ideas have been very successful, but increasingly people have, you know, chafed at the idea of being, having to be in the house by six o'clock, basically, particularly after the, the time change um, where, where, the, where the sun, of course, was up later. Um, and I think there's been some response where some city councils have kind of like, and, and it, the rules do differ from hotel to hotel. Um, and I think that, and that's been in response, but it's important to remember that the rules were put in place to begin with, to basically make residents around these places feel better about having, a, a, you know, 30 homeless people living in the hotel next door. So again, that goes back to this idea of residents with housing, you know, being super concerned about their own autonomy, but not really looking at it in the person eccentric care. So it's gotta be a balance, um, but again, I think a lot of this is going to be a moot point closer to the end of the year, at least with Project Room Key, as hotels start to, to open up. With Project Home Key, that's going to change a little bit. If these are going to be people's long-term homes, you can't keep requiring folks to be in the house by 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. or whatever um, works. So it's, again, it's got to be a balance that's worked out over time, and it's got to be focusing on the person who's actually being helped and what they need and what they want. You're listening to Forum. I'm Katie Orr, in for Mina Kim. I want to go to a caller now, Eileen uh, from Santa Rosa. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I wanted to say briefly, uh, the, the homeless population, and I walk the creek three times per day. I see them. I know them. Uh, they're washing themselves and doing their needs inside the creek, inside the creek, competing with the uh, you know, basically wildlife. And uh, so somebody needs to come to the creek area as we speak, and I should have taken a picture. There are pans that have been washed on top of the cyclone fence. And and it's right here on Fulton Road. 
you just go around 1180, we are a senior park. A, you know, basically we are seniors, most uh, all of us. And it's a mobile home park. And I see the activity on a daily basis. It's not once or twice. So I think that more outreach needs to be done. Social workers need to come. And I don't know where the supervisors are. <laughs> they are living in another land because um, here at the park, we have had plenty, plenty of robberies. We are talking about expensive bikes or bikes altogether that okay, we have I mean, had Thank you so much for your call. We really appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Amanda next. Go ahead. Hi. I would like to know what the plan, the long-term plan is due to the Sonoma County housing shortage. You know, we're putting these people up in hotels, which is great, but what is the long-term plan? What's the next step? Because there is a housing shortage and we can't just continue to build more housing. And if we do, it's not particularly affordable. Angela, uh, what's the next step? Thank you so much, Amanda. Angela, I'd like to turn that over to you. What is the next step? Is this the move we're going in encampments with like tiny homes or tents? Because building uh, apartments is a is a very expensive proposition. Um, uh, yes, great question. Um, I um, would like to just, um, I think it's helpful to understand um, uh, uh, what Daryl Steinberg, mayor of Sacramento, told me about this. Um, I think the caller underscores this point that California's housing crisis is red hot right now. It's um, it's exploding still. Um, hundreds, there are so many thousands of Californians, you know, teetering on the edge of homelessness. And there is a, a, an acknowledgement that California at its current pace with its current politics and regulatory system, there's never going to be enough housing built in time to put everybody sleeping outside into housing. And um, I think Daryl Steinberg spoke to the caller's um, question. He said, um, you know, for a long time, he told me this, Um, earlier this year, he said, for a long time, I resisted the idea of legalized camping. I think he, um, legalized camping is seen as a perhaps a temporary interim measure while the state tries to get its act together to build enough housing. Um, He said he resisted it because he believed um, he just defines safety and dignity as a roof. Um, He doesn't think it's safe or healthy for people living in the elements, you know, to be living outside. Um, however, I, he has evolved, shifted his tone, as have many of others. And, um, and so I think we, we can expect, um, as this crisis, you know, continues to get worse, um, as the pen, tenants, you know, potentially become, who are precariously housed, potentially do fall into homelessness, as the full problem of homelessness becomes clearer, we're going to probably see more and more pressure um, we're already seeing it in places like Sacramento and Los Angeles and the Central Valley um, to do more of this sanctioned campground um, with services. Um, one one thing I didn't say today that I think is really important um, is these experiments aren't perfect. They do help really tremendously save and help people's lives. Um, that's a comment I just is based in my reporting and. You know, I think of a woman named Rosa Newman, um, who was homeless in Santa Rosa for many years, over 10 years. Um, this is a woman who was a former tennis coach, you know, a neighbor. Um, she was one of the people anyway. So she, you know, had to, I'm sorry, this is a little bit grotesque, but she had to hold in her urine, her, her, her pee, because she couldn't find anywhere to use the restroom and 
you know, is being denied from public establishments and it spread, um, created infection in her kidney and spread, um, and her, and spread to her liver. So, you know, it just shows, um, that the health conditions are so enormous out there. And once she got inside, she got better, she got stable, she got housing, she got a job. So this is, I think the promise that this potentially holds, um, and I will say that big city mayors, the big, there's large city mayors across California have requested to the state legislature $16 billion to be spent over the next four years um, to address homelessness. They're looking at a permanent source of funding and they're looking at holding local governments accountable. Um, and these are all on top this year in Sacramento. Thank you so much, uh, Angela. Um, one final comment. Anthony writes, For the past 50 years, all efforts to provide homes for the homeless have largely failed. It's time to recognize that until that is fulfilled, the compassionate thing to do is provide essential services to the homeless where they can actually live. I want to thank my guests today, especially Angela Hart, correspondent covering California politics and policy for Kaiser Health News, and Erica Smith, columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Thank you so much for joining us on Forum. I'm Katie Orr in for Mina Kim today. Have a great day. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.